I want to start uh, today by asking you a question. Is this a good volume? Is that okay? Is it a bit loud? It's okay. All right. When I, when I say Jesus, what do you think of? Right, so I know many of you are believers, so you think of Jesus. But let's go, let's, let's drill a bit deeper. If I was to say what comes to mind, what kind of person, I wonder how far you get. I wonder how many facets there are. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder whether you think of Jesus in a one fa- single faceted way. There's just one element that really drives you about him. I, w- I wonder whether, I wonder how worthy of you he seems to you. I wonder whether you think of someone who is glorious enough to, mo- to both demand your whole life and also care beautifully for it. Whether he, is, whether he has that kind of right. Someone compassionate enough to genuinely care for the details of your life. Someone, someone able to deal with the huge upsurging of trouble in the nations and in creation. And somehow bring it all together at the end. Is this the Jesus that you think of? Is this the Jesus that you know and love and serve? Because there's no getting away from the fact that the Jesus that we read about in the Bible is all that and more. He is all that and so much more. And um, particularly as you get into the book of Revelation, which is, you could probably argue is perhaps the most powerful piece of literature that has ever been written. And as you get into it and, uh, and allow it to wash over you and, and impact your heart, it's just incredible in terms of what can happen as you begin to realize who this is we're dealing with. I want us to read together from Revelation chapter 1. And uh, we're going to go from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. I, John, your brother and partner, in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Right therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Lord, I just pray that you would bring this passage to life in our lives today by your spirit. 
Amen. There's a good quote here from a commentator who says this. This opening scene is dominated by the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And the sight is literally breathtaking. From this point onwards, the centrality of Christ is the ruling theme of Revelation. All things depend on their relation to him. All things depend on their relation to him. He is magnetic north. Right? So, so this is how the Bible presents Jesus. That, that he is the firstborn over all creation. Uh, that, that he is the beginning and the end. That he's the, um, the cornerstone and he's the capstone. Um, that, he, that all things were made by him and for him. Uh, that all things now depend on their relation to him. Everything. In the whole of creation. In the earth, under the earth, above the earth. Uh, past, present, future. Everything now, primarily more than anything else, uh, is de- it depends on what its relationship to him is. Uh, a completely foreign idea from this approach that would say... Um, How do you see Jesus? This is how I see Jesus. It's nice that you see Jesus this way. This is how I see Jesus. Because what's happening there is that you have two parties who are determining how they see Jesus and therefore what Jesus is. Whereas this is no, this is Jesus. This is him. And what are you going to do with him? But I see him this way. Yes, but this is Jesus. But what about how I see him? Well, does it line up with who he is? No. Then it's not Jesus. But I've always felt this to be Jesus, but it's not Jesus. But I like this Jesus, but it's not Jesus. But this Jesus makes me feel good. But it's not Jesus. All things depend on their relationship to him. So he, he is revealed, he is disclosed. He dis- God discloses himself fully in Jesus. God doesn't wait. You know, sometimes you look around and you wait to see what people say first and then you kind of line up. God doesn't, so I wonder what they're saying about me. Oh, okay, yeah, well, I'll be that. No, God discloses himself. This is who I am. And then he says to his creation, now, uh, this is me. And I, I love you. I love you with a love that you cannot begin to fathom. But this is me and I change for no one. I, I the Lord, do not change. This is me. So, so in this period of, of history, this is me. And in this period of history where, where everyone's thinking completely differently about life, this is me. I've not changed. This is me. And now, and, but what you, fundamentally, the most important thing for you to work out is, is how do you relate to me? What is your relationship with me? That is what we're faced with. And it's hugely uh, unsettling for many, many people because it's very, very different from the kind of age uh, that, that we live in, particularly in the West. It's a very alien way of approaching things where basically, fundamentally, the way it tends to go is this, is figure out what you're comfortable with, figure out what you like, figure out what suits and fits and works, and then define your life out of that. That's basically what we do. Uh, and this is very, very different. And so even if you, you've never heard anything like this before, I'm just trying to say this is what it is, just so you understand what it is that Jesus is asking you to come to terms with. Um, it's an incredible scene. And, and I want to just unpack all the wonderful symbolism and imagery in it so you understand, okay, all right, you've told us that he's, he is this, but what is he? Well, here's the things that we see of Jesus uh, in this beautiful picture here. Um, 
First, I want to point out that he's in the middle of the lampstands. Now, we, what did we learn last week? What are the lampstands? The lampstands are the, the churches. So this letter has been written to seven churches, um, but there were ten churches in the region. So why seven? Well, it's, it, seven is the number of completion, perfection in this kind of literature. So it's basically saying, yes, these letters are for these individual churches. And in chapters two and three, where it, each church gets its own letter, it's very real for them. And yet, so on a macro scale, it's saying this is the letter for the church as a whole down the ages. So this is for the whole of the church. That's what the seven is about primarily. But Jesus is in the middle of the lampstands, which means that Jesus is right bang in the middle of his church, which is a beautiful thing. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, when we tend to think of Christ being in our midst, we can maybe think of it in, in, in two ways, but I want to bring in a third way. We can think, well, Jesus lives in me now by his spirit. True. When the Bible says that when you, are, when you come to know Jesus, he, he comes and dwells in you by his spirit and will never leave you or forsake you. So there is this indwelling uh, presence of God. Therefore, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. One. The other one is, is that we might tend to think, yeah, and kind of he's with all of his people. So the, his whole church around the world, he's with all of his people. Yes, very true. But this third thing here is that we've got seven lampstands representing seven congregations, seven very real normal churches like us. Okay, look around. In God's sight, we are a lampstand. You might individually be a lampstand. Yeah, no, no, no. Or a temple, but individually we are, we are, we stand before God in heaven as a lampstand. He, he relates to Revelation Church as, as a lampstand. And he's in the midst of us. This is incredible. Um, and so uh, later on you'll see that in Jesus' hands are these seven stars and they're the angels of the churches. And it's this amazing thing where it seems like, it seems like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm just saying what it seems like. This is a little bit sketchy, but there's a number of references throughout the Bible, Daniel, Matthew, Revelation, where it seems that things on, on earth have a spiritual or an angelic counterpart. So in Daniel we read about nations that seem to be in some way, there's an angel that is presiding in some way over over nations, a spiritual counterpart for that nations. In Matthew, Jesus is talking about woe to those who, who make little ones, children, stumble, who cause little ones to sin. And then he says, for their angels are, are, are before the throne of God constantly, implying that there is a, an angel per child. And maybe the angel continues on with us all the way through. Here in Revelation, it appears that for every congregation, there is an angel. If you look at the start of chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. To the, so, it's mysterious. When you stop and consider for a moment, this room is most likely crammed full of angels. With one particular one here right now, who is responsible for us as a church before the presence of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. But the most exciting thing is that Jesus is in the midst of us. That he is our head here. Who's the senior pastor? Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. We all have different roles to play, but we're, fundamentally we're on a level. We're brothers and sisters. And actually Jesus, even in his humility, comes and calls himself our brother because he's like that. But he's also our head. And he has the authority over this church, over Revelation Church. He... By his mercy has established us and he's got a plan for us. And so we can feel utterly secure 
in there. He's our chief, our captain, our leader, and he's right in the middle. So when we gather to pray on a Tuesday, he's there with us. In fact, it says in Hebrews that, that it's this wonderful statement where it says Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers, but he stands in the congregation and praises with us. I mean, we think, wow, because Jesus isn't just, well, we're getting to it in a moment, the fact that he is God, but not only that, he is fully man. And so, and so he's the ultimate worshipper, as well as the one to be worshipped. I mean, it's just the mystery of Christ. Wah! Wonderful. Wonderful. Don't try and make him something manageable. He's glorious. So he's in our midst. And then we see here, particularly through this thing, in the, the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. Now this points straight back to Daniel 7, where there's this incredible vision that Daniel has. And, and this description is ascribed to someone called the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is clearly talking about God. Because, and then, and then in, this, in, this, in this vision, one like a son of man comes and the Ancient of Days entrusts all authority and dominion to him. Which is why Jesus used the name the Son of Man more than any other because he was saying, I'm, I'm the Daniel figure. And yet, actually here, Jesus is given this image of the hair white like, white like wool. And, and you think, well, what, what's going on here? He, he's not just the son who came. He is the Ancient of Days. He is God. Uh, he's the first and the last. That's, that phrase is used here. The one who lives forevermore. These phrases scattered throughout this chapter are, are, are titles given in the Old Testament for God and God alone. Jesus is God. But it's certainly Jesus. But you say, well, maybe it's not Jesus then. It must be Jesus because he says, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So it's definitely Jesus and it's definitely God. It's totally appropriate to say what Thomas did to Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 28. He said, my Lord... And my God. And Jesus did not rebuke him. Jesus received his worship. Because he's God. There is no question around the deity of Christ. Jesus himself said, if anyone has seen me, they have seen the Father. John chapter 14 verse 9. He is God. This is who Jesus is. Creator. Creator of all things. This is scratching the surface regarding scriptures about the deity of Christ. I've just given you. A couple, but there can be no mistake. The one who stands right in the middle of us and walks among us is the eternal creator. If you can grasp the humanity of Jesus and the, and the divinity of Jesus, that he is fully man and fully God, you're going to have a wonderful Christian life. Most people go wrong on one or the other. They either think, well, I know Jesus is God, but I don't really, I'm not really sure he's human. Those people, do you know how they tend to live? They will tend to despise their humanity. They will just tend to just go a bit funny around just being normal uh and the more into god they get the weirder frankly they get and everyone's just going scratching head thinking like what is going on like they just they, they, they're not normal anymore because they've not understood the humanity of jesus fully man see through jesus becoming a man he redeems humanity which means in christ you find out what it is to be fully human you don't go weird okay you can enjoy what it is to be human why isn't anyone saying hallelujah? <laughs> this is good news. This is, it, 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 it breaks you away from that weird intensity that you can get into that's not from God. It's not. It's, there's, there's good intensity, like zeal. There's another kind of intensity. It's just not, it's not of God. It's, it's, it's where you, you, you kind of think you, that to be godly, you have to sort of transcend everything. But Jesus didn't. That's the point. The transcendent one came and fully engaged and, and enjoyed fellowship. He, he, he enjoyed food and drink. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he enjoyed 
food and drink. He, 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 he went just for, he wasn't, he wasn't someone, the children loved him. And that's always a good sign. Children are, you know, children, they, 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 you know, they can spot dodgy ones, children. (laughs) And they loved him. Yeah, okay. The poor, the normal people, normal people. The only people who didn't like him was hypocrites. Huh? Right, because he threatened this kind of mask, you know, this kind of. No, hypocr- hypocrisy is so exhausting because, uh, trust me, I know. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's mask wearing. It's, it's mask wearing, so it's exhausting because it's like, oh, I can't keep this up, it's unsustainable. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus utterly threatened them just by his authenticity. So he's fully human, but, but, but he's fully God. Right now, when people don't get that he's fully God, then 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 they just get into this kind of like, yeah, I, I'm just I'm being real, I'm being real with Jesus. I'm eating cakes, but I'm not I'm not praying, I'm not doing that stuff. No, that stuff's too spiritual. I'm, I'm human, you know. And and it's just they steer away from they steer away from anything supernatural, anything that's just kind of just transcendent. They, they, they don't they don't like all that. They think that's all been shed. No no no. Jesus comes and shows us what the full picture is. He's fully God and he's fully man. And as you embrace him, you're able to. You mature, and it's not crooked. You grow, and it's richly expressed. And, and, and even the Bible says about us, uh, who are human, dust, but actually says that through Christ, we get to partake of the divine nature. Oh my goodness. I mean, you read John 17, Jesus is praying about us being caught up in, in the community of the Trinity. You think, what this is like, what is this? It's way more than anything anyone would even have dared to believe. It's, but it's, as we're still humans. Yeah, there's a man in heaven. There's a man in heaven right now forever. I mean, in the incarnation, when God the Son takes on flesh and becomes Jesus of Nazareth, he's bringing humanity into the Trinity forever. It's just staggering. Wow. So he's right in the midst of us, and he is the Ancient of Days. He is God. And then we see this incredible, his eyes were like a flame of fire. And out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. This is speaking of judgment, that he's the judge. This is a really important one to grasp. This is something that some people can avoid. This can not like this and not want to engage with it because of negative connotations. This is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. You know, in John 5 verse 22, Jesus said that the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So the Father has established Jesus to be the judge. So the one who will make final judgment is now Jesus. The Father has entrusted that to him. But it's a weird thing that actually Revelation, he's, he's, the context is the church, and then he comes, but he's a judge. And you think, oh, hold on a minute, does that work? Because John 5, 24, Jesus says, if anyone believes in me, they've come out of judgment and into life. So why is Jesus as the judge in the context of the church? Well, what you've got to realize when you read the Bible is that there's two judgments. There are two judgments, and, 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 and the first judgment... When you become a Christian, you come out of that and into life. You will never face the first judgment. I'll explain to you what the first judgment is. The first judgment is, uh, happens at the end of all time when the Lord Jesus returns. And the Bible says that all that have ever lived, great and small, will stand before the throne. And um, the bottom line in reality is that anyone who has decided they can stand before a morally perfect holy God and give account of themselves... So it's basically anyone who says, yeah, I, I can stand before God and I, I'll be all right. I, I can stand before God and I can tell him how I've lived and, and he'll let me into his glory. He'll, he'll let me into his heaven. Um, uh, Jesus will enter into judgment with you. 
Okay? Because anyone who says that will not receive Jesus as their saviour. Anyone who says, I'll be alright, won't receive Jesus. Because only those who have been utterly broken by their sin... And, and, and the reality of, oh my goodness, look how far I've fallen. Only do those people come to Jesus for salvation. Okay? You can't come to the cross and, get, and, and receive salvation from Jesus if deep down in your heart you still think you're okay. You still think you're going to be alright on judgment day. God in his mercy helps us to realise, oh, he is utterly perfect. Not just in behaviour, but in thought, in every way. There's no darkness in him. And then by his spirit, he mercifully begins to show you yourself. And you realise, it's not just your actions, and it's not just your words. It's your thoughts and the motives of your heart. Half of the time, you don't even know what they are yourself. But God, the Bible says God weighs the heart. So he he weighs every motive behind every action so the Holy Spirit graciously reveals you're in trouble <laughs> yeah you're in big trouble because basically you know just give yourself an hour on earth and you're in trouble yeah so because because what you're going to do Lord if you marked our transgressions who could stand you know but you enter into judgment we've got to say no but no but no but but he's like no but I see everything yeah, but what about, yeah, I've taken that into account and look. And, and he holds us to account. And so at that moment, Jesus will enter into judgment with you. Uh, and, and he will want to know what, what is going to atone for you. Because you've not received my offer of forgiveness through the cross. So what is going to atone for, for your sin? Uh, and there is, no, there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. So at that point, we've entered into judgment. And anyone who enters into judgment with God, it's not going to go well. If you, when you come to the cross, Jesus says, you pass out of judgment into life. You will never ever have to stand before God and try and justify yourself. Isn't that wonderful? You never have to stand before God and say, yeah, but. You, just don't, you have to just say, yeah, Lord, it's all true. It's all true. And, and you know what? My, 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 my confidence before you is grounded on nothing to do with anything I've done or not done. It's solely on the fact that, that Jesus, you are absolutely righteous in every way. And you bore my sin in your body on the tree. And you have gifted your righteousness to me. And on, on those grounds. And on those grounds alone. And you know, when, when, the, when the righteousness of Jesus is, is declared before the throne of God. It's just celebration and open gates. Because it, that, that righteousness, Jesus is, that stands in heaven. God the Father is impressed with the righteousness of Jesus. And if you're declaring that that is your hope, beautiful, you're in. Okay? So, 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 hallelujah, you pass out of that. But there is another judgment the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about it quite a lot. Um, there's, there's some phrases here um, that may help us. I don't know if I've got any of, of them up here. Is there one on the... No, there's not. Sorry, that's, that's my bad. But I'll just, give, I'll just can read them out to you quickly. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, the Apostle Paul writing to believers, he says this. He says that, um, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You think, hold on a minute. That's, doesn't that, that sounds like a bit of a contradiction. I thought we just said, what's going on here? Here's what it is. Once you, are, once you are in Christ, you are justified. That means God declares you righteous. It's got nothing to do with how good you've been. From the moment you call on the name of the Lord Jesus and, and you are saved, from that moment, God declares you righteous. It's justification. It's a legal declaration. It's Satan can say nothing, do nothing about it, can protest in no way. You are in the family. 
Okay, nothing to do with your maturity, your godliness, your walk. It's just you've, you've realized I need saving and I can't do it. And you trust in Jesus and you turn away from every other hope and you say, Lord, I really, I want to belong to you. And when you mean that, he who searches the hearts, you're in. You're in the family. All right, you're in. The, but the reality is this. Once you're in the family and you grow and mature, things are expected of you. Now, very often Christians who really get grace, they don't get this. But it doesn't contradict so as my children get older, they're just in. They're in the family. They didn't do anything to get in. They were just born and they're in. And they're loved. Grace, justification. They're in the family. Nothing to do with their maturity. They're in. They always will be in. They're in, in, in. As they get older, I require, myself and Domina, require more of them. Right? Otherwise, let's be honest, you'd be looking at us thinking, family's odd. They just carry their kids to church every week. Daisy's 13. and you know, It's just weird. It's stupid, right? So it's actually a privilege to grow into maturity and to be entrusted with things. Right? And then as a result of that, there's reward or lack of. And none of it contradicts the grace that they're in the family by grace. In exactly the same way, there is a judgment of rewards. The Bible talks clearly about it. I'll read to you for 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. This is a very, I actually, I find this hugely motivating. I don't find this, I find this is wonderful. He's, he's talking about how, he says, right, um, this is the Apostle Paul, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. He's talking about how he's sort of planted a church in Corinth and someone else is building on it. Apollos and others have come in and they're all getting involved. Take care how he builds upon it, though. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work, important word, each one's work will become manifest for the day, day of judgment, will reveal it, will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is really important teaching. There's a foundation of Jesus laid. Now, all of us, as we go around just serving the Lord and giving our lives and giving our hearts to the work of God and the kingdom, we're building on the foundation of Jesus. But what are you building with? If you're building with um, gold, silver, precious stones, then the fire that we read about in the eyes of Jesus here on the Day of Judgment, all it will do is show it for what it is. When you put precious stuff through fire, it just purifies it. And even though the work itself wasn't perfect, because it was gold, silver, and precious stones, it is perfected by the judgment of Jesus. If it's wood, hay, or straw, then the judgment of Jesus will just burn it up. It's a lot of nonsense. And there's nothing left to show for it. Now, on the day of judgment, our work will be tested by the fire of Jesus' eyes. Now, let me just reassure you by saying it hasn't got to be impressive, in quotes. Remember the boy with the bread and the fish? He just brought what he had. And Jesus made it amazing. But because he really brought what he had to Jesus... It's gold, silver, precious stones. And that's how this thing works. If you give yourself to the Lord and to his kingdom, then what you are doing by its nature must be gold, silver and precious stones. Because it's coming out of a heart that loves Jesus and wants to serve his purposes. 
It will be flawed. And, you know, there will be gaps. That, yeah, of course. But what's it coming out of? Oh, it's gold. Jesus is just going to perfect it on the day of judgment. You, 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 and, and there will be whoops and shouts and trumpets. I mean, you should be very, very excited if you are giving yourself to Christ. If, on the other hand, you made a profession of faith, but in reality, it's just wood, hand, straw. You're just... And, and this is a heart issue. And only, this is b- before you and him. I, I don't know. But actually, you're just giving him the leftovers, the tidbits. You're not seeking first his kingdom. And by that, I don't mean spending all of your waking hours in church. Okay? Seeking first his kingdom. That means just looking for the glorification of Jesus in, in, in where he has called you to be. And in your life, if, if you're not, it's wood, hay, and straw. And you'll suffer loss. And I don't want you to suffer loss. And Jesus doesn't want you to suffer loss. And I want to just, you know, I mean, it's such a privilege to, to, to be with you guys. Whenever, I mean, wow. So we do Alpha with St. Luke's and John's like, your guys are amazing. They just totally lifted the whole atmosphere when they turned up. And I'm like, oh, man, Rev. Uh, yesterday, uh, Andy and Rima's, Andy Rima's wedding. I mean, just... I'm just sitting there. Oh, Lord. It's just beautiful. The serving, the joy, the unity, the heart. uh, Just absolutely beautiful. So there's no way any of this is, there's no sting behind any of this. I am absolutely bowled over by you. But let's just keep keep going. Because I tell you, it's going to be glory, glory, glory on that day. Um, but it is real. It's there. It's real. And just to remain motivated and know that he sees, you know, he sees. So even if you think, oh, it's, I'm giving myself a, and it kind of feels that's a bit this and this is a bit, you know, he sees and he loves it. I'll be honest with you, the first couple of years of this church plant, I look at the and I say, it's a house of cards. Someone sneezes, this thing's all over. Do you know what I mean? You think, but, you know, I remember, the, I remember literally we moved up here to plant the church. Uh, that was on the on the Saturday. The Sunday was really excited. Had our first meeting. The Monday, I'm like, now what? And I remember just sitting in the garden, like, Lord, like, uh, what, <laughs> what? What do we do? Because there needs to be a church here at some point. And you're just before God. And you're, I don't know what to do. But Lord, we came here out of obedience and we're trusting you. Gold, silver, precious stones. Yeah. Whoa. This sermon's going to be so long. I'm just at the beginning. I spent way too long on those points. I was going to, I'm race through. I'm race. I'm going to race through the rest. Not too fast, thank you, Davina. Okay. He's a priest. So a lot of his clothing here speaks back to the priestly uh, things that we see. And and there's so many things you can say about a priest. So many things. I'll say two things. Firstly, this. Sometimes people think you can just draw near to God. Oh yeah, well of course, you know, he's God, he's, he's kind, he's like that. You can't just draw near to God. There must always be a mediator. There must always be a, because he's holy. You can't just rock up. <laughs> we tend to think we can because we've kind of leveled everything out in our mind. We don't, we hate hierarchy, our culture. We, so we just bring everything down and I think without even realising we can do the same to the Lord. No, 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 no. Yeah, he's our friend, hallelujah. Oh yeah, but he, he's holy. I mean... Man, wow, so you can't just rock up. There needs to be a priest, right? And it ain't me. And if you guess the thing, who who is it? He's got a blazer on? No, it's not me. It's Jesus. (laughs) He's the priest. So we all have access to God through him. He's the great high priest. So you just got to get that. That's why you can't just, well, I figure out you you do Jesus is that way. I'll I'll get to God. That all, all roads lead to God. They don't. 
The right leads of God is through the high priest that God has established, and his name is Jesus. So we've got to go get to Jesus. So, but, but the other thing, which is quite a beautiful idea, it says this. I think they said one more quote, uh, Rachel. Rachel's spontaneously combusted. <laughs> How does she do that? Wow. She, it's the rapture. She was the only one, guys. No, I don't know where she is. Is there, a, is there any other? I think there was one more. Oh, no. No. Okay, I'll read it to you. It's fine. Listen. She's great, isn't she, Rach? Um, you just got bored. Right, uh, no, she didn't really stim in. The Old Testament priest, listen to this, right? So remember, the church is the lampstands. The Old Testament priest would trim the lamps, remove the wick and old oil, refill the lamps with fresh oil, and relight those that had gone out. Likewise, Christ tends to the ecclesial lampstands by commending, correcting, exalting, and warning in order to secure the church's fitness for service as light bearers in a dark world. So Jesus' high priest is going around the lamp and he's making sure, is the oil, oil still in there? Still full of the spirit? Still shining bright? Oh, we've got some trouble here. Okay, let's sort this out. He tends to his church so that we can remain the, the, the light bearers that we're called to be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's part of the priestly duty. It's wonderful picture, wonderful, rich imagery here. He's among us. He's, he's working. So when there, are, when there is discipline, when there is warning, when there is correction, when there is encouragement, it's Jesus just tending to the lampstand. And sometimes that might come through one voice prophetically. Sometimes it might just come as we interact with one another. But the Lord is just using one another to help us so that we remain sh- um, shiny and bright. So it's a beautiful thing. So he's, he's, the, he's the priest. Um, just uh, Jesus is the king. That is priestly and kingly, the imagery here as well. And I just wanted to just say on this, I know authority is a dirty word in our culture. It really is. We, we, we malign and we mock parents, bosses, governments. Um, um, and I think even if we don't explicitly discredit Jesus' authority as king, we can, focus only, we can just focus on those elements that, are, that speak of his closeness. And if that's all we do, then you can end up without realising it and without uh, meaning to. You, 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 you can go quiet on his fierceness. You can go quiet on the fact that he's going to smash to pieces his enemies uh, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a jar of, like jars of clay. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a fierceness to Jesus that we must embrace because it's him. Because it's him. And authority is inherently good. I want to say that again. Authority is inherently good. But when it's abused, it can cause perhaps some of the biggest problems people ever face. But do not throw out authority. Because you will be lost. You will be utterly lost. He is Lord. He is the King. So do kiss him, as we're told in Psalm 2. Do kiss him, but kiss him with trembling. As it says in the same psalm. Rejoice, but with trembling. He's the king. And then finally, I love this, he's the lord of the underworld. He has the keys to death and Hades. I have the keys. You see, in those days there were numbers of pagan gods who were ascribed as lords of the underworld. And uh, this description puts them into their proper place. Jesus has authority in every realm, now and the next, seen and unseen. He's been there. We don't understand fully that mysterious passage in Peter which talks about Jesus going to the spirits that were imprisoned. It seems that it was between his death and resurrection that he entered the realm of Hades. And it says that he preached. That word preach means proclaimed. Which means it probably wasn't like an evangelistic preach where people are getting a second chance. But instead it is a proclamation of his victory. 
So he went to the realm of the dead, the realm of darkness, the realm of Hades, and proclaimed his absolute victory over that. He has the keys to death and Hades. I mean, it's just beautiful. It means as a believer, there is absolutely no fear of death. <laughs> There's just no fear of death. He's got the keys. It's, which is why in the New Testament, when believers die, it's called, it's called falling asleep. Because he's, well, he's won. He's absolutely won. The final enemy, death, as the Bible calls it, has just got no grip on our lives. And, um, you know, I don't want to be dramatic or anything like that for the sake of it. But obviously we're, we're, and we don't even know the accuracy of all the news reports we're hearing. We just don't know. But it seems potentially that there are, we are being freshly exposed to whole communities that are having to face death for their beliefs. And, um, you know, we, we, we would be naive to think that, that we would never be in the same context in this nation. That would be naive. I'm not, I'm not prophesying it will happen, but it would be naive to assume it wouldn't. You would be buying, there would be nothing behind that thought of any substance. If you thought, well, it won't happen here. There's no substance behind that thought. Uh, it could, well do. Uh, and I want to just say, listen, if, if that moment comes, whether we're together, um, or whether we are apart, different parts of the world, individually, um, we need to remember who has the keys of death and Hades. And it needs to get right into our spirit. So that when that moment comes, if it does for us, that we can honour the Lord in that moment and not be gripped by fear and not, and not end up doing and saying things that we will then spend the rest of our life bewailing. But that we will, we will be able to, um, by his grace, grace alone, be courageous. Ah, I'm aware of my frailty as much as anyone, that, but I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes the things I'm seeing and hearing, I'm meditating on it a bit more and saying, Lord, I want to make sure that in the moment, if that moment comes, that I honour you. And I'm not, I'm not as in the grip of these things as people who have no hope. Because Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. As I was preparing this, I just felt particularly that there were some who, the, 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 the reality of the, the fear of death is a big deal. And listen, whether, whether at the moment you describe yourself a believe, as a believer or not, I want to tell you that in Jesus Christ there, there is freedom from that fear. You do not have to live in that. Okay, because he's one. He's one. And um, so how do we respond to such a glorious Jesus? Well, I think it's best to do what John did, really. Fear. And then Jesus will say, don't fear. That's how it works in the Bible. It's a great little setup. Um, don't go not fearing. It's a real mistake. <laughs> uh, just be like, Ugh! and then when you get it, he'll go, ah, don't fear. That's, that's, what, that's what happens. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's not playing games. What it is, it's, it's, the, it's the Lord wants us to get it. So that, so that when we're lifted up, it's because it's he's lifted us up. We've not exalted ourselves and just been presumptuous and assumed there's nothing to fear. I tell you, there's... Listen, at the end of Revelation, I don't want to you know, spoil, spoil the surprise for December. But I just, it, we won't focus on this, anymore, but it's interesting. John sees all these amazing things. And then at the end, in chapter 22, he sees an angel. And he falls down to worship him. After all that. And the angel says, Stop. Whatever you do, don't do that. Worship God. But angels are glorious and fearful enough. In the Bible, we see people freezing, you know, frozen to the spot and collapsing. And an angel, um, we are dealing with one here who's the angels cover their face around his throne. (laughs) Unlike anything, unlike anything you've ever begun to imagine. Very, very worthy. So maybe I will, uh, maybe I will just ask you that question again. When I say Jesus, who do you think of? What do you think of?
This opening scene is dominated by the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And the sight is literally breathtaking. From this point onwards, the centrality of Christ is the ruling theme of Revelation. All things depend on their relation to him. Let's pray. Lord, we do just honour your sovereign freedom that you do what you will. And it's beautiful. And I just do want to ask that even as we respond to this message, Lord, I pray that you would be happy to make your presence known among us. You know, and we know that you're here, Lord, anyway, but we pray you'd make your presence known among us. That you would almost pass through in an extraordinary way, in order to help us. Because we really do want to serve your purpose in our generation. We don't want to miss the moment. We We don't want to be silenced by political correctness. We don't want to be overwhelmed by what we read and hear in the news. We... We, we don't want to be nullified by secular humanism. We, we, Lord, we want, to be, we want to be in awe, in joyful, joyful, grace-empowered awe of who you are. Lord, we, we want to fear you so that we won't fear people. We want, to learn our, we want to learn the force of your jealous love in our hearts. God, we are so frail. <laughs> But thank you, you understand. Thank you, Jesus. You can sympathize with us because you were tempted in every way. And you, thank you so much. What an amazing Savior you are. And I don't even know, I don't even know what I'm saying, what I'm praying, Lord. I, I, just please help us as a church. Please help us. Tend to us, Jesus, as your lampstand here. I pray for St. Luke's. Tend to them. Tend to them, Lord, as they look to serve you. I pray for new life. Tend to them, Lord, as they look to honour you, that beautiful church, that wonderful community of faithful. Lord, tend to them. Help them. Help them, I pray. Help them as they look to honour you. I pray for Chalk Farm Baptist. I pray, Jesus, tend to them. Help them, Lord. Help them. We need we need your help. We Help us to prepare for the harvest. Help us to be ready. Help us, Lord, to not not love our lives too much. Help us not to be distracted by things that will come and go. Do help us, each of us, in the battles that we face in our hearts, the battles where our hearts just want to do something else. Uh, bits, you know, the flesh rages against the spirit. Help us, Lord, to by the spirit win. Lord, not 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 just by flogging ourselves, but by the spirit, by your grace. Help us to win. Help us to come into, Lord, the joy of the kingdom. Lord, I pray, help us. Help us, Lord, to find your delight over our lives, your song over our lives. Lord, that we would be a delighted people. I pray it, Lord. I pray it. That we would delight in you and delight in one another. Lord, and that we would, and your heart for those who are lost would beat in our heart. And we really would be able to, 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 really, to really love as you love serve as you served do help us lord i pray thank you that as we sing now you stand among us jesus and praise with us thank you that as we do so you move among us as we take bread and wine and by your spirit you tend to us and we honor your presence here amen